0: Welcome to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. Get it, got it, give it. Here in The Sweat Room, we dive into today's questions about sports and faith. You don't have to walk around preaching the gospel every second and telling people about Jesus, but you can walk around and be an example of who Jesus is to all of these people. And she said, until God calls you away, he might, maybe he will, maybe he won't, but until he does, you are to bloom where you are planted. And
1: now, here's your hosts. Noah and Bjorn. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the 38th episode of the Sweat Room. My name is Noah Korsen, alongside my co-host Bjorn Webb. We are so pumped for today's episode and kicking off the 2021 year. Yes, 2020 is done, and what better way to kick this off, this year off, with a leadership series? The month of January, you do not want to miss out. We are going to feature some of the best leaders, not across the country, but around the world. THESE these four leaders are some of the most godly men that I've met, and oh my goodness, you guys are in for a treat. And if you're new to our podcast, our motto is get it, got to give it. We're always in every phase of this, always learning, always teaching, and always applying. That's in the beginning, but we're, our, our motto is also shifted to everybody has a story. It's just a little bit different platform. And the three G's are important, but what we've loved out of this podcast is getting to hear people's testimonies, people's stories. And people's testimonies are powerful, and we're going to learn from some of the best around and one of those being is Jason Romano. If you're not familiar with Jason, he runs the Sports Spectrum podcast and it's an incredible podcast. It has over 2 million downloads since its debut on March 31st, 2017. That's right, 2 million. And it's amazing, amazing podcast. If you like our show, go subscribe to his podcast as well. Jason does such an amazing job with it. But previously Jason was at ESPN for 17 years. He was an Emmy Award winning producer and senior manager at ESPN. He created and produced shows that you're pretty familiar with. SportsCenter, Monday Night Football, Mike and Mike in the Morning, Sunday NFL Countdown, College Game a Day, MLB's All-Star Game, and much more. But Jason left that to go to Sports Spectrum, and you guys are going to love the story. He's a leader, he's, he's a thoughtful man, and he's just a godly man. So I'm looking forward to this conversation today. And Jason is an author as well. He wrote The Uniform of Leadership, Lessons on True Success from his from My ESPN Life. And then he also wrote Live to Forgive. Both those are a little bit different, but incredible, incredible books. After this podcast, you're going to want to get your hands on both those books. Incredible, incredible way to start off the 2021 year and before we dive in make sure to check out our social media platform at watermark sports on facebook and instagram and on twitter it's a little bit different it's that sweat room pod and we have a blog if you kind of want to see how this was summarized and some of the notes maybe there's a quote that you really liked and if you didn't write it down which I highly recommend if you don't have pen and paper or your notes app out now get it out because this is an incredible episode, but check it out. We have a blog at watermarkwesleyan.com slash blog. And so without further ado, here is our conversation with Jason Romano. We want to welcome to the sweat room, Jason Romano. Jason, thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you guys. Thanks for inviting me.
2: We're, we're excited to flip the script a little bit and interview you instead of you interviewing people. So we'll, we'll see how you're how your skills are on the flip side,
0: <laughs> Bjorn? I like this. Well, I've had a little bit of practice because the book came out in July, my new book, and so I've been doing more interviews like this one where I'm being asked the questions. And then, literally, I just told you guys right before we started, I just recorded an interview for my show where I got to ask the questions. So, yeah, we am kind of bouncing back and forth. So, so I you've can been
2: pause. practicing, getting ready for practicing. this interview. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
1: I've been
0: practicing. That's it.
1: Very, very, very good. Cool. Yeah. So you are from Albany, New York. Is that correct?
0: it is yeah a little town about 10 miles south of albany called ravina um and it's you know population 2000 or whatever it's small and everybody, everybody but yeah that albany
1: capital district area is where i grew up wow that's amazing so you're from albany is it true that you're a cowboys fan and how did that come to be very
0: true. Uh, I wish it was
1: false, but
0: that's a very true statement. Uh, that's the team I've rooted for the longest. You know, I was a Cowboys fan since five or six years old. I have pictures of me at my sixth birthday, which was at McDonald's by the way, apparently in the late seventies and early eighties, McDonald's was the place to be for your, for your birthday party. And I had my sixth birthday and I'm holding a Roger Staubach number 12 doll in my hand and wearing a number 12 Cowboys Jersey at six years old. So I can tell people it's, it's been gosh, 40 plus years since, you know, I started rooting for this team and I can't stop now, although they're causing (laughs) me a lot more pain and anguish today than they were 25 years ago.
1: And your brother's a Philly fan, right?
0: Yeah. So the Eagles Cowboys dynamic is, is an interesting one because my dad, is a New York giants fan. Wow. (laughs) And my grandfather, his father was a green Bay Packers fan. So, you know, my grandfather grew up, you know, in the, I guess the forties and fifties, but Lombardi came onto the scene, Vince Lombardi in the sixties with the Packers. So my, my grandfather gravitated to them. My dad gravitated to the giants apparently in the sixties when he was a kid and, you know, into the late seventies, early eighties, when his kids are starting to get older, my dad's kids and, and us yeah. start watching football, um, we all rebelled. You know, I wish we were a family that all rooted for the same team. I really do. But we're not. My brother's an Eagles fan, and I'm a Cowboys fan. My dad's a Giants fan. And wow. football season's hard because we love each other, but we hate each other's teams and we want to crush them badly. So it's been that way for forever. It's, oh, it's man. just that's, that's, that's awesome. what it is.
2: That's so funny. So you can, you can love each other on every day except for a portion of Sunday.
0: Listen, I have to practice forgiveness. I wrote a book on forgiveness, but I have to practice it. <laughs> Every single fall when the NFL starts, because we're all trying to beat each other's brains in with our teams, and yet not hold any grudges on 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 that as far as being family members. So yeah, yeah
2: sure. it's, oh, that's it's fun. That's funny. So Jason, I got a question for you. As you know, you have a long history working um, for ESPN and being a producer of tons of different shows. One of them being Mike and Mike in the Morning. What was it like being a producer of that show? And is there a story that comes to mind um, that you remember from when you were producer um, of that show? So I'll give you a little
0: bookend info on Mike and Mike. So when I got to ESPN, it was July of 2000. So 20 years ago, wow. uh, day three of my job at ESPN at that point was switched into getting a role on Mike and Mike in the morning. Wow. Now that show at that time, not a lot of people knew about, it was the morning show on ESPN radio, but it wasn't on television. It didn't have the public, uh, you know, I guess uh, backing. I don't know if that's the right word. How early backing. did you have to get up for that show? Well, when I first worked on it in 20 years ago, I was the booker on the show, so I didn't need to be wow. there at 4.30 in the morning because I booked oh. the guest the day before. So yeah. I'd get there at like 6.30, 7 o'clock, and I would work till I don't know, 4, 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I would work on Sundays as well because Sundays you would book the guests for Monday's show. So the early time of working on Mike and Mike when there was just 3 or 4 of us much different experience. But later on, towards the back end of my career, when I came back and started working on the show again, this was 2016, when I came back to Mike and Mike, I was on the show and I was there early. Let's put it that way, guys. I woke up (laughs) at 345 in the morning. Uh, Thankfully, I lived, you know, 15 minutes from here is ESPN. So it didn't take me a long time to get to work, but I still had to get up at 345. I would get to the office by 420, 430, um, try to leave the house by four, a little after four. And uh, I knew I needed to be in my chair in the the sort of social media, digital media chair that's in the studio with Mike and Mike by 430. And I had work to do and prep and get things ready, some graphics and some tweets and things like that, gathering kind of what happened the night before. By the way, guys, the dirty little secret. The people who work at 6 a.m. on sports shows very rarely watch sports that happen the night before live because (laughs) you would get zero sleep if you did that. You kind of have to get some sleep. I've always
1: wondered that. This is great
0: confirmation. So some of the guys that I worked with would wake up, you know, 3.30 in the morning, 4 o'clock. You know, Greeny had a, a drive of... I would say almost an hour coming mm. from the Southern part of Connecticut to Bristol. So he would spend that time catching up on the highlights. And thankfully by this time in 2016, YouTube had everything. So if you wanted to watch a game, you could watch the whole game in 10 minutes wow. on a, a condensed version on YouTube of all the plays that mattered. So it was easy to catch up and know what happened without having to stay up and watch it live. Uh, but I would get up at four th- or be there at 4:30. The show would start at six and uh, it was wow. great. I mean, by this time, this was a well-oiled machine, Mike and Mike. That was heard by tons of people between radio, television, podcast, digital, social media. Right. It had blew up, and it was probably the most successful sports morning show ever. Yeah. And working with two guys like Greeny and Golick, those guys, you know, were legends, uh, veterans who just went about their business and were so good at what they did mm. and, uh, and made it sound seamless when they were on air. That's what made so, that show so great.
2: So you didn't call them Mike and Mike? Well,
0: I mean, the show was Mike and Mike, but we all <laughs> called them Greeny and Golic. That's what yeah. you know, they were called. Um, if I called, you know, Golic by the, his name, Mike, he'd probably almost look at me like, what's wrong with you? Romano? <laughs> um, and the same with Greeny, you know, they just, that's what you called them, and, Kind of, yeah. you know, how we rolled with it. But you asked for a story of my time there. And I, I will tell you my time working on Mike and Mike in 2016, my last year at ESPN was incredible. Like I did more things and experienced more uh, amazing moments in that final year than maybe the other 16 combined. Probably not uh, quite that. That's I'm probably exaggerating a little bit with that. But yeah. I got to go places that and do more traveling in one year with Mike and Mike than I did in 16 years combined. That's not an exaggeration. Wow! So I was on. I was at the Super Bowl with Mike and Mike. We were at the Final Four. We were at the NBA Finals and watched LeBron come back and beat Golden State. Wow. Uh, in 2016, we were at the NCAA National Championship game when uh, Deshaun Watson threw the ball to Hunter Renfro and Clemson oh, yeah. won the national championship. So what we a were year! All of these immense. We were all. So at uh, the World Series, when the Cubs won the World Series for the first time oh, in a hundred years, man. so all of this happened Crazy. in 2016, and it was yeah. insane to be a part of a show that was traveling, that was getting these, you know, these events as part of what they were trying to cover, and. I just kind of was tagging along. I will remind you, I was one of about 20 producers on that show and different people behind the scenes. So I wasn't sure. the producer. Yeah. I was just one of the people that contributed to that show every day, but I'll never forget the day. <laughs> so this is, this is Golic losing a bet to Jamel Hill. Between Michigan State and Notre Dame, Jamel was yes. a Michigan State girl, and the bet apparently was Jamel was going to have Golic like, have the the Ghost Pepper challenge oh live no. on the show. Oh my So if you know what it, I, I'm, I'm like the least spicy person you'll ever meet. I don't want any spice on my food. I'm the same way. Right? Some people like, you know, jalapenos and and some of the lo- higher level spices. Well, the ghost pepper, which just sounds scary when you hear that word, <laughs> is the as I think the second spiciest pepper, hottest pepper around, or something, right? Yeah. And so, Jamel arranged because the bet was you have to pay up. That Golak had to eat one or two ghost pepper ghost peppers I guess they would be put on like sliders yeah uh on the show live and that was how you pay off your bet <laughs> so we ended up ordering i can't remember it might have been like 20 sliders with ghost peppers on them like so it was a lot and you know golick doesn't do anything halfway and so He eats one and we're just impressed that he eats one and it's amazing. And here's, here's the plans that went behind this guys. We actually had to have the, the ESPN nurse. And there was a nurse who worked at ESPN who had to be on call and sitting in the studio to make sure that if something happened to Golic, she was there to treat him right away. This is how (laughs) serious this was. We had gallons of milk standing by and they say, that's what you drink. If something gets real spicy, you just drink milk, right? Gallons of milk nearby. Uh, Golik's son, Mike Jr. was there. Jamel was there. Greeny was there. And of course Golik. And then the rest of us are just watching this. Like, is he going to really do this? So we spend three hours talking about it. We get to nine o'clock Eastern and that's where Golik's going to take the challenge. Wow. He does it. It's still on YouTube. If you go and look for it or on oh. Twitter, just search Golick ghost pepper challenge. We'll it's amazing to watch. So Golic's like going in and he's known for his food eating anyway. So he's like, I got this. This is no problem. And he goes, takes a bite out of the slider and he's like, see, this is not a big deal. And all of a sudden, about 30 seconds later, it kicks in. Yeah. And you see him like, oh boy, this was not a good idea. And so, but then, he, you know, he's Golik. So he finishes it, finishes one slider, Wow. goes for a second slider. Oh my gosh eats it just goes oh I'm, I'm going I'm gonna do it and I guess I know a lot of this was for show yeah for the for the show but he ate a second slider and I think he might have even eaten a third I'm not sure oh my gosh but his body you could set you could sense his throat was like tightening up <laughs> and he was struggling even talking for the last wow. 10 15 minutes on the show and he had milk around him he was taking like not just shots of milk, but like gallons of milk <laughs> drinking to try and help him through it. He's Water is not it. a good thing, they say. You need the no. milk. Yeah. And then at the end, after we were done, which nobody really saw this, um, the staff came over and there was like 15, you know, 10 or 15 sliders still left. So a few of the staff members, not me, by the way, because I'm not <laughs> crazy, started taking some sliders and eating it themselves. Just one. They suddenly see how hot this thing really is. And a few of the staff members were we're hit hard by the ghost pepper. <laughs> we'll just say, and good thing uh, the nurse was on call. Thankfully the nurse was on call. Nobody was you know, hospitalized or anything like that. Yeah. But that was such a fun day and so stupid and kooky and silly, right. but so good and professional at the same time, if that's possible and paying off a bet and you know, it was must watch TV and must listen to radio for that 45 minutes for sure.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's awesome. so fun to hear stories like that. I know for me as a kid, like, I love the Mike and Mike show. I'd always watched that in SportsCenter before I went to school. So it's it's great hearing, like, just those kind of, kinds of stories. So Well, I'm standing
0: yeah. behind Golik while he's doing this recording for social media. Yeah. So I think we went live on Twitter. Or we went live on Instagram, and I was running the social media with Mike and Mike. And I'm just trying to hold my camera steady, which was my phone while i'm recording this and thinking oh my gosh this dude right here is doing something that's ridiculous and i've shared the video it's still on twitter again if you search it you know ghost if you just search ghost pepper and golic you know <laughs> you'll find the videos, you'll see it it's still the most impressive feat i've ever seen a, per- a human being wow. do in person so so, so
2: jason i got to ask you mentioned um that you guys were at the super bowl that year um was that the year was that Super Bowl 50 that year that you guys are out there in California or nope so it would have been the February the
0: 17 no the year after so oh, the after. 16 season which that year would have been uh that was the patriots and the Falcons. So, if any Falcons oh, fans okay. are listening, gotcha. you don't need to elaborate. But that was the <laughs> comeback. That was the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. 3. So, we weren't at the game. We were actually there for the week, doing shows, like three, three, three shows. It was in Houston, okay. and then, uh, and then I came back on Saturday, and then we did our show that following Monday. So, oh, fun! Yeah.
2: I, I had to ask because I was going to say, "Oh, small world," because I, I actually worked and was there at Super Bowl Fifty. When it was down in California. San Francisco, when, right? Yeah. When Noah's Broncos. I'm won. a huge
0: Broncos I'm from Colorado, so I love it. So my it. daughter's a big Broncos fan, so that was a big deal for her that they got their uh, Super Bowl. Super so Bowl you
2: Cup keep the team. tradition going with having, you know, <laughs> your kids are not the same love fans it. as
0: you. and. Guys, I didn't tell you this earlier, but... I failed as a father because I tried. I put Cowboys jerseys on my daughter when she was a baby. I have pictures of her and me with her Romo jersey on when she was like four or five. And then she starts loving horses. This oh, is, this yes. Is a serious, this is a true story. She loves horses. She starts watching horses on, sh- on shows. She starts collecting them, whatever. And she sees this NFL team with a horse on their helmet. It's like, Dad, what is that? I said, that's the Broncos. She's like, I think I like them. They're my team. They're horses. I he chose
1: horses. right. She chose the right
0: thing. So,
2: so <laughs> any advice for Noah and I, who are not fathers, who maybe yeah. hopefully will one day, for getting our kids to choose the know. same teams that we do? Any advice? No. No.
0: I don't have any advice because I failed at this. Clearly as a dad, I've tried everything I thought I needed to do. I'd have her sit down with me and watch the Cowboys when they were playing. When she was a kid, she was like, I don't want to watch football. Then she sees the Broncos and her first real year rooting for the Broncos was the Tim Tebow year.
1: Oh, what a great year to be. 2011. So I have
0: pictures of her wearing a Tebow jersey and Tebowing at like six, seven, eight years old. So uh, that's her team. I will give her credit. She stuck with it. She's 16 now. It's still her team. She's got a Von Miller jersey. You know, she's got a Peyton jersey. She still roots for the Broncos. So she's staying with her team, which is what I did. Committed. I ha- I don't know. I mean, my brother is the Eagles fan. He has four kids, two sons, and they're Eagles fans with him. Wow. And he says, well, I just, I threatened them if they didn't root <laughs> for the Eagles that they were going to have to be. I said, that's not what you did. Something <laughs> happened that you you invited them into your world and then they, they agreed to root for the same team as you.
1: Right. I have
0: no advice, dude. I mean, honestly, get, you know, if you're a Broncos fan, I'm laughing at this too, as I say this, Noah, but if you're a Broncos <laughs> fan, just, you know, flood the kid with Broncos stuff. Don't let, you know, almost, you almost have to keep them in a cocoon of not even knowing about any other teams, (laughs) just watch the Broncos and don't watch any other sports or watch the Broncos and don't watch any other NFL teams. And that might be your best hope. I I honestly don't know because they might discover that they like the star on their helmet and they root for, they root for the Cowboys because that's what I did with my dad and you know, Oh, uh, the rest is history. So I, I have no real great advice on this one. I oh
2: failed. Man, that, that's so funny.
1: <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> kind of just like shifting a little bit. Um, so for yeah. you, I love you always ask people a little of their faith journey. And I'd love to ask you that. How did you come to know Christ? And what was it even like being a believer at ESPN?
0: Good question. So I'm going to answer the first question first. And I grew up as a kid who was, uh, you know, went to church a little bit here and there with my grandfather. Uh, My mom and dad were divorced when I was five or six years old, so Mm. there wasn't a real church foundation there that they took me to. We all just kind of were Catholic kids. Who, if people asked us, do we go to church? Yeah, we go to St. Pat's in Ravenna because that's Mm. the Catholic church that we kind of all belong to, but we really didn't go a lot. Uh, I did my first communion there. Uh, I did do what you're supposed to do when you're a Catholic kid growing up. You do your first communion. Um, you you know, make your confirmation when you're 14 or 15, which is sort of the, I don't know, I, I guess I liken it to being Jewish and doing your bar mitzvah, yeah. um, you know, sort of the rite of passion, passage into the sure. church. And so when I was 15, I did the confirmation thing and, but I didn't, I, I, for 26 years of my life, I'd never heard about who Jesus really was. Mm. I didn't have anybody tell me about this. I never heard about relationship. I never heard about salvation. I never heard about the cross. If I did, I didn't have the ears to hear at that time. Mm. Nobody was telling me or showing me in in, in what I would say is the, the biblical way of who Jesus really was. I was taught things. I'm sure there was some of that when I was making my confirmation. But I didn't have the discipleship aspect or the ears, as the Bible says here, who he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I didn't have those ears to hear. Mm-hmm. So it was all foreign to me until I got to 26 years old, 27 years old. And my brother Chris, the Eagles fan, was the first <laughs> in our family to become what I would say is a born again Christian or an evangelical Christian, or just somebody who trusted his life with Jesus. Right. So there so, are
2: some good things about the Eagles fan. Yeah. I, I,
0: I, I, push the Eagles thing to, to the side because honestly, if it wasn't for my brother, Chris, I wouldn't be talking to you guys about Jesus. There's just mm-hmm. no way because he introduced me to Jesus. Uh, I watched his life, first of all, for a couple of years and how he lived his life. And he was radically saved, transformed. He did a 180 his life. I mean, you guys need to have him on. He was oh, yeah. he was down a very bad path. And then suddenly God got a hold of him and he turned his life around. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother, when he, when it happened, we, we were happy that he wasn't living the old life. Mm. But we were really kind of, I don't know, confused, I guess, because it was a different Chris, a different Chris Romano. And uh, we thought that he was he had joined some kind of cult or something. Seriously. I mean, it was that radical of a change. And whenever something radical like that happens, skepticism, I think, always creeps in a little bit. Mm. This dude really, really calling out Jesus's name and saying that he got saved and telling people about repenting. Like, I don't know what he's talking about here.
1: Is there a specific memory from that, that you remember? You're like, wow, like this, there's something completely different about it. Was he just going out, like telling you guys about Jesus all the time? Like what what did that look like? Well, it it wasn't much different for me in the sense of seeing
0: how he was living his life. You know, he wasn't going out drinking anymore or whatever. It wasn't like that as much, but we would still get together, watch football, have family, you know, gatherings. certainly Thanksgiving, Christmas, things like that. And all he wanted to talk about was Jesus. Wow. And I was like, Chris, I get it. Like, can we talk about (laughs) the Cowboys and the Eagles? Can we talk about just Hmm. regular, regular, real life stuff? Cause my body or my body, but my soul, my, my, myself, Jason, and certainly a lot of us, we weren't ready to handle and have that conversation yet. Hmm. Um, but he didn't stop. And I think he would even tell you early on, he was so on fire that he he in essence was experiencing something so great and dramatic in his life that he wanted everybody else to experience it. So it was almost like mm. forcing his faith in some ways on us. And uh, it was almost so abrasive that we were just like, dude, please just stop. This is, right. this is weird. We're so happy for you, but it's just not for us. <laughs> um, so I will say initially after he, Stopped in the first, I would say, six months to just talking about it all the time. He went from talking about it to living it, and uh, you know, he got married in 1999, just a couple of months before I did. And uh, you know, he got married in a a very Christian way of getting married, if you will. Like he he went celibate before they got married and, and did all these amazing things. And you saw Jesus was really at the center of his life at the center of the wedding at the center of their marriage. And I watched him live it out the next couple of years. Then he had his child, Sam, my nephew, uh, his first, the first son, uh, you know, born in our family, the first kid of me and my brothers. And I watched how he loved Sam. I watched how he was as a dad. And I thought, man, there's something very attractive about this with my brother. Mm. And, uh, it wasn't, necessarily something that I thought was what I needed as far as a faith component goes. Mm. But watching him live his life was what drew me to be at least having some sense of ears to hear, the heart to be open to say yes. And on Mother's Day 2001, I'll, I'll make this long story a little shorter, he invited me to his church. Guys, you'll laugh at this. My church growing up, I told you, was a Catholic church. Mm -hmm. His church that he got saved in was a charismatic Pentecostal church. So if you're ranking the scale of experiences on a church perspective, the Catholic church is here on one end, and this kind of church that my brother got saved in is on the complete opposite end. It might be still talking about Jesus. It might be preaching the gospel, but the experience is much much different right. and we're talking about you know dancing singing praising clapping worship music <laughs> speaking in other languages in some cases right. things I just never saw and heard and I was like this is weird but the message something that, I don't remember exactly what it was but something that day about the message resonated with me enough to tell my brother that I didn't think that church experience was horrible Wow. I said, it wasn't that bad. And he saw an opening when he heard that to bring me in the back bedroom of his house on mother's day, 2001 and say, Jay, I don't normally do this, but this has been a few years now. Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you what the gospel is and why that I've been so focused on this for the last few years? Wow. So it wasn't about him telling me his his journey to Jesus. It was just him telling me what the gospel was, Mm. the whole point of Jesus going to the cross, who he was, God in human form, uh, salvation, repentance, forgiveness, all of these things wrapped up in this 10 minute conversation with my brother. And uh, he asked me point blank, is this something that you'd be interested in? Or do you want this for your life? And my heart was open that day. I said, yes, I think I do. Mm. I tell people I had no idea what I was saying yes to. I didn't fully understand who Jesus was. I didn't have all this Bible knowledge. I didn't tell Chris to hold on a sec. I'll be back to you in two years after I go through seminary mm. or, or Bible teaching. I didn't do any of that. I just said yes that moment. And I think what people need to realize is we just need to have an open heart mm. and then go on this journey. Wow. And that's what I did. I had an open heart. I said yes to, Chris, to this invitation from my brother and uh, accepted Christ that day. But I honestly do not know if I had died the next day, if I would have gone to heaven, because Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was saying yes to. I hope I would have. I'm glad I didn't have to worry about that. (laughs) But I didn't know if I truly knew what I was saying yes to, but I knew I needed to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think about the thief on the cross, too. When you think about the example in the Bible, you know, the thief on the cross is sitting next to Jesus on on the cross as they're both preparing to die. And he's like, how can I inherit heaven? Wow. And he says, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, just trust in me. I'm giving you the paraphrase Jason yeah, yeah. version of this. And Jesus says, all right, well, today you will be with me in paradise. See you soon, and bro. <laughs> yeah, it's like that quickly. So maybe I would have the next day. I don't know. But I've gone on this journey. It probably took about a year to fully understand salvation, the cross, forgiveness, And then I got plugged into a church that I thought was a Bible believing Bible teaching type church Mm -hmm. and uh, got baptized a couple months after that. So it was about a year and a half after I said yes to when I got baptized and um, and then have been on this journey ever Mm -hmm. since. And it's a growing process journey. I I use those words growing process journey Mm -hmm. because you never reach your full growth potential in this life with Christ. You continue to grow every day. The process it is a process, a long process, much like a lot of things in life. It's not, you know, instantaneous. You got it. It's done. It's not microwavable. It's the crock pot journey of life, right? Yeah. And that's what it is. It's a journey, and you go on this journey with Jesus um, in this lifetime that takes you as long as till you pass and uh, and go on to the next one. So, I'm still on that journey
2: almost 20 years later. Yeah. Well, I love that, and I I think the the way you told that story communicated to me exactly what you just finished with. As far as, you know, that day that you accepted Christ, you know, when you were with your brother, Chris, that wasn't the boom. Okay. I made it. That was the start of the journey. That was yeah. step. It was one. the pistol
0: going off in the race. It, exactly. You know? And yeah, I just and started running so.
2: that, you know, people, I think, you know, they often miss that. And I know I did even growing up and I, you know, I grew up in the church and it was Bible believing parents that, that showed me who Jesus was with their actions and their words. But I still was kind of like, Oh yeah, I'm saved. I'm good. Like, let's go, let's go do whatever. But it's like, ah, man, there's more to it. It's God has called us to something so much bigger and so much greater. And he promises that life will not be easy. Like that, that's, you know, He promises that, that it's not going to get easier once you accept me as your Lord and savior.
0: Well, that's the reason why I didn't honestly think I needed to say yes to Christ at that time. Mm. In fact, when I did and I came back and told my wife, I said, I think I just became a Christian today. Wow. You know, we had this conversation that she said something to the effect of, why do we need that? Like Chris was going down a bad path and he was in a bad spot. But from a worldly perspective, you know, I had the job at ESPN had been there for, you know, a little bit less than a year. My wife and I had just gotten married, you know, in 99 and, you know, that was going well. Uh, we had just, or we're getting ready to buy our first house. Like there's lots of worldly things on the surface that, that look great. So why would we need to worry about, you know, this whole Jesus, God, religious thing? Why did we need that? And, uh, I get outside, you know, looking outside, looking in why, why she would think that. In fact, I thought that for many years, then I realized, well, I, I'm I'm just as much of a sinner and a candidate for for salvation and grace as as my brother was. It's just a different variation of it, right? Mm. Maybe mine was internally I was battling some things, whereas my brother, maybe it was externally, he was battling some Mm. things. That's good. But we both were battling some things and we both needed Christ. And so now I look back, you know, I'm thankful my wife is walking with the Lord and she goes to church with us. My daughter has been, you know, going to church and and, in the church and, and, uh, got baptized and accepted Christ, you know, when she was younger, my prayer for my daughter is that when she gets older, she goes through another sort of, uh, sanctification process of her own and learning like what really stood out with what you just said, Bjorn was that, You can only live on your parents' faith for so long. Mm -hmm. You eventually have to find this faith for yourself. It's your relationship with Jesus. It's not your parents'. Mm -hmm. And so my my daughter is still probably living on the relationship with her parents with Jesus. um, But she's 16, and pretty soon she's going to go off and and be on her own, and she's going to have to walk this walk you know, with Jesus for herself. And yeah. uh, that's my one prayer. I tell people all the time, they're like, what's your biggest prayer for your daughter? And I said that she follows Jesus for the rest of her life. And then mm-hmm. Mary's a godly man. And then the, everything else, I'm not really concerned about. That's mm-hmm. it. So
2: that's, that's so good. And it, it reminds me of, um, we have a banner here at, at Watermark Wesleyan church for our kids ministry. that says oftentimes the best way for a kid to know Jesus is to know someone who knows Jesus. And that's who you have been for your daughter. And And I didn't know
0: someone who knew Jesus when I was a kid.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And you know, right now, as you have said, or growing up, like you've been that middleman between you, between your daughter and Jesus for however long. And that's, Mm. and that's good. And that's, and that's great because you can know someone, you can get to know someone pretty well through somebody else, but there always will be that time where you realize that, Oh, I don't truly know that person because I only know them through someone else. And Just like it was for me. I'm sure it will be that for your daughter, Um, whether it's a day or whether it's a few year long process of when they realize like, oh yeah, this is real. And this is something that will be between God and myself. And, and, and I I love that prayer that you have for your daughter. That's so, man, that's so just so true. There's so much just power behind that of that's what you want for, because you know that that is the most important thing and the best thing for her. Well, listen, I want, I
0: want her to, get a good education. I want to give her the best opportunity in college to go wherever she decides to go. Uh, you know, I want to help give her the things that I didn't have, um, as a kid with my dad and my dad and I had a, a, a rough relationship for many years. And a lot of the things that I'm giving my daughter is really just time and, you know, availability to her to help her through her journey. And those are all important things, trust me. I hope that when she looks back when she's 25 or 30, she remembers that this was hopefully a good thing that I was around and intentional in her life and same with my my wife. But Mm. if she does all of this, she could have high... A plus scores in college and graduate with honors and go on to be a doctor and you know cure the whatever thing that's not cured and just whatever success she could have, if she does all of that, but she's not walking with Christ, I'll feel like a failure personally. That's just me. And I know it's not my fault because we all have a choice to make mm-hmm. on this journey. So I my one prayer honestly for that is really just for her to follow Christ all the days of her life and and see the goodness of god on her journey and i really believe it's matthew six thirty three. right it's seek first the kingdom of god and everything else will be added unto you like Man. keeping christ at the center of her life is really the only prayer i have so wow uh that's so
1: good i, I think all of that is uh, both both of you just said is phenomenal and i, I say to our listeners all the time is if you're not taking notes with some of this, like you're missing out, like Jason, you just said incredible, incredible things. And I think something I, I will continue to take to heart of what you just said is we need to have an open heart and we just go on this journey. And so for you, for, with your faith journey, what was that like at ESPN? What was it like being a Christian there?
0: Yeah, that was part two of your question,
1: by yeah, the way. Sorry,
0: it was, it's kind of a lengthy question, but you know, that's okay. Cause that first answer was so long that, you know, um, <laughs> no,
1: because you're it, the guy interviewing, so many times and not many people know your faith journey. It's true. It's very true. I think, but it bleeds into the faith journey bleeds into ESPN
0: because when I got saved or when I began the journey with Christ, however words you want to use with it, um, I was working at ESPN. And so having to kind of take that pivot from being this non-Christian to being this Christian, um, that was a That was an interesting time for me because I would say I understood who Jesus was. I understood about salvation, like I said, about a year after. But I never really understood how to acclimate myself as a follower of Christ Mm -hmm. into my job, Mm -hmm. you know. I've heard now a lot of talk and I've even shared a lot of talks with different men's groups and conferences about work as worship, right. And how to be a believer in the workplace. Mm. But I failed at that for probably the first seven or eight years. And I, I'm not saying I was perfect at at it after, but I completely misunderstood the idea of being a Christian at the workplace because my Christian journey and my Christian walk, even for the first seven years, you know, consisted of me going to church every Sunday. And I felt like that was something that was important. Making sure my daughter was in church every week, you know, in her kids' kids' church and now in youth group. My wife would come with me and we make sure that this was our time. We, wouldn't, we weren't going to miss church. During the week, I was in a, a weekly you know, life group, home group, Bible study type of setting, which I'm still in to this day, and that's an important part of my Christian walk as well. I would get up, I would spend time in prayer here and there, I would read God's word here and there, would watch videos, whatever, and that was my Christian walk. Mm-hmm. So when I went to ESPN, I thought, well, this is not where I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be a producer here, and so I didn't really understand how to put them two together, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Uh, and there's a story in my new book, chapter two on Tony Dungy, the coach from, well, you know who Tony Dungy is, the Colts coach and the Buccaneers coach and the NBC NFL analyst. So I'm spending a day with coach Dungy at ESPN. And my job at that time was to book guests and secure guests for different shows. And coach Dungy comes to ESPN this day. It was 2010. And, uh, Him and his team were there. There was about three of them, and they all knew me. Other than Coach Dungy, knew me from different jobs and probably from just being friends on Facebook or something. Where they knew that I was a Christian. Mm -hmm. So, Coach Dungy gets finished with Mike and Mike in the morning, and then we end up in the green room of ESPN, which is just a side office room that we were waiting for our next interview. And you know, Coach didn't have to do this, but he took an interest in learning about me. And he said, Jason, tell me about yourself. I understand you're a Christian. That's amazing. And if you know who Coach Dungey is, he's he's a devout follower of Jesus. And he's not ashamed to tell people about his faith. And I love that about Coach Dungey. So I tell him a little bit about my journey. And he says, Well, let me ask you a question. And this question changed everything, guys, when he asked it. He said, How do you live your faith out here in the workplace at ESPN? In essence, he asked the same question, Noah, that you just asked. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, and my answer wasn't sufficient, I know that when I, when I said it, but I said to him, I don't think that I can even do that, coach. I said, I'm a Christian, but I mean, I go to church on Sunday and I go to Bible study, but I, I think if I was to live my faith out in my job, I would have to leave ESPN and go work for a church or a sports ministry, which spoiler alert I have done that now but I would have to do that to be a Christian in the workplace and I could sense coach Dungy wasn't real happy about that answer and he was about to respond but before he could his assistant Jessica who's a good friend of mine Jessica Quinn walks right up in front of coach and he looks and she looks at me and she just kind of shakes her head And I said, Oh boy, Jessica, what did I just say that that's bothering you here? And you guys know that look when you get from, whether it's a girlfriend or from your mom or from a, you know, an aunt, just like disappointment, right? They're just looking at you like, I'm so disappointed in you. And I knew Jess a little bit, but still, I was pretty upset that she was mad about my answer. And I said, well, what's wrong here? And she goes, you don't get it. Look where you work. Look at this place, this ESPN place, 4,000 employees, Bristol, Connecticut, tons of people that you're influencing. Look at where you can live out your faith right here at ESPN and be a light for others. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You don't have to walk around preaching the gospel every second and telling people about Jesus, but you can walk around and be an example of who Jesus is to all of these people. Mm -hmm. And she said, until God calls you away, He might, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But until he does, you are to bloom where you are planted. Wow, That's the title of the second chapter in the book, Bloom Where You're Planted, because her answer right there, her words changed my life. The question that Coach Dungy asked changed my life. Her answer or response to my answer changed my life. Because I finally understood that I wasn't just an ESPN producer who happened to be a Christian. Mm. I was a Christian who happened to be an ESPN producer. Wow. Game. Order is order is important, right? When we figure out who we are in Christ first, everything else flows from that. Mm. Wow. For 7-8 years, I was identified as an ESPN producer who happened to be a dad, a husband, and he you know, uh, you know, a Christian, whatever, Cowboys fan. Like I was <laughs> I was definitely identified as that too, but I was identified with my job, especially when I was at my job first. Wow. And that's a problem for a lot of people. I don't even know if I call it a problem, but it's a it's a thing that a lot of people have to work through is being identified by what you do. And guys, listen. Identification and identity, that's a very sort of buzzworthy topic in the church circles, especially for young people, but it's a real real problem for all of us Mm. is who are we as people who is who are we identifying as and I learned that day that the order is important and I need to think my think of myself first as a follower of Christ and so if I was at the grocery store if I was at home with my family if I was at church if I was at a sporting event or if I was at ESPN I was a Christian first who happened to be doing all these other things. Wow! And that guy's changed everything because now I went to work with a different purpose. I went to work with a purpose to serve others, to help others, to love others and to be as best example as I could of Christ. When I was at work again, when I'm at the grocery store, when I'm pumping gas, wherever I am, I needed to think of myself as trying to be the best example of that. I failed miserably many times, obviously, but my mindset shifted And my heart shifted to understanding that there was a purpose for me to be at ESPN. And so for those last seven, eight years, seven years, I guess it would have been, I went to work with a different purpose, and that was to serve others and try to do the best I could to replicate Christ in all that I did. Um, And I think that's a big thing for a lot of people, even if you're in ministry, right? To be the best example of Christ and to remember that, I'm not a podcast host first, or I'm not still not a dad first or a husband first. I am a follower of Christ first Mm. and everything else flows from that.
2: Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's so good, Jason. I'm so glad that you shared that with uh, with us. And if that's, if that's chapter two of your book, I can't, I can't wait to figure out what's in the rest of it. Um, but you know, speaking of of your book and, and you've written, written two books, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Books. Could you, could you tell our, our listeners just a little bit about where to find your books? And then also, um, this podcast that we haven't mentioned a whole lot, but now what you're doing now with sports spectrum, you could tell us a little bit about that too.
0: Yes. Thank you for asking that. Um, so the first book I wrote was called live to forgive and, uh, it released in January of 2018. I started the process of that book when I was still at ESPN, but it released after I had left and, um, That's a very personal book. That's about forgiveness. I mentioned my father and the broken relationship I had with him. Mm. Uh, This book is about as real and as raw uh, as I could have ever written anything or told a story about anything. Uh, And it was my journey to forgiving my father and uh, for a lot of the pain that he caused me, caused my brothers, my family. But it's also an application book. It dives deeper into forgiveness, and all of us struggle with forgiving someone who's hurt us. I don't care who you are. Um, if you say you don't struggle with forgiving someone who hurt you, uh, I would reckon that you are not, you know, telling the truth, or that you're not, or that you're not alive. Let's put it that way, because it's just it's it's real, right? We're human. Pain hurts. So I walk people through my process of forgiveness, but also try to help them so that they can enter into a place to forgive someone who's hurt them as well. Wow. So that's the first book. Um, that was a hard book to write. Uh, it's Your first book is always hard to write, but then we chose the one of the hardest topics to write about. And uh, that was a very personal book. The second book was not, it was hard to write, but it was a much more fun book, I guess, to write in the sense that it's about leadership and it's about my time at ESPN and a lot of stories in there, like the Tony Dungy story that I just shared. And those stories are are featured throughout the book, but really with a twist. It's not just me telling fun stories Mm -hmm. of working at ESPN, but it's really focused on the leadership lessons that I learned from these people. Some of them are very famous people that you would know and recognize, athletes, but others are People like Tammy from the cafeteria who worked there every single day grinding out and was one of the best leaders you saw, like Lisa and Carol, who are some of my coworkers and bosses who people wouldn't know, you know, from, you know, being famous or anything, but they were great leaders. And I just tried to tell stories and examples of the different things that I saw and experienced during my time at ESPN and how those leadership lessons came from those experiences And that hopefully you can go through and implement them into your life. And really the model of the whole book is Jesus, right? He's the greatest leader that we've ever seen. All you have to do is go into the book of Matthew and look what he says in Matthew 20, 28, where he talks about the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve Mm. and give his life as a ransom for many. He's Jesus. He could have easily said, guys, serve me. In fact, many did, and we continue to do that to this day. But he didn't say that. He said, I've come to serve you. I've come to be here for you. I've come to give for you. Mm. And that's a pretty radical statement to make, but it's the greatest example of leadership that we could ever look for. And so this book is really implementing those leadership traits that you see from Jesus, loving, serving, caring for others. And taking those lessons that I've saw and learned from the different experiences and helping you or whoever else reads it, be able to kind of implement them into their life. And that book really is is designed even more, the uniform of leadership is the title, by the way, I don't know if I said that, yeah. but that book is designed more for you to go with go through with your team. So you guys should go through it with your team. It's designed with questions at the end of every chapter. Uh, it's written in a way to go through. The chapters are not very long. You know, I wrote it, so it's really easy to read. Trust me, guys. <laughs> um, so it's, it's written, though, to go through it as a team. And whether you're in a church or a business or you're a sports team or you're coaches or you're wherever, business leaders, this is designed and written in a way to go through together as a team. And so that's a really exciting thing that just released a couple months ago and uh, still been excited to hear when people read it and how it's influenced them and helped them on their journey to be a better leader. Um, You also asked about the podcast. So Sports Spectrum's podcast is something that I left ESPN to go start and build and uh, create. And it's a show where I interview athletes, coaches, authors, pastors, speakers, all different types of people, on the intersection of sports and faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. And so we, we, I like to say we bring Jesus back into the conversation. It's a sports show, but we talk about Jesus. Mm. And at first I wasn't sure if anybody would really listen to this type of show, but I realized I'm serious. I I honestly didn't know because I know there's a lot of sports fans out there and I know there's a lot of people who love Jesus, but I didn't know if those two would kind of intersect well on a show. Mm. Um, Two million downloads later, I'm telling you, I guess there is an audience for our show, which is great. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been growing it now for almost three years. And it's been such a fun journey because it's something I never thought I would be able to do, Mm -hmm. but I always wanted to do, which was host a show. Um, You know, ESPN, and even before that, I was a producer. I was behind the scenes. I was helping you guys get ready for your show. Now I'm doing the show. And uh, I still have a lot of producer Um, to my title. You know, I still produce my own show. We've created a podcast network where I'm producing three or four other podcasts and it's going to continue to grow in 2021. And we're going to have tons more shows that are really focused on Jesus and sports, but all different kinds of angles on it. And now, so I'm putting on my producer hat, but I'm also hosting and uh, I love it. I really do. It's my favorite thing to do. And uh, the fact that God has called me and given me a chance to do this at you know, sort of the halfway mark of my life is incredible. And so I'm so thankful. Um, I miss ESPN in in the sense of missing the people, uh, but I wouldn't go back, I don't think at all, for anything. Like you could offer me a million dollars and I'm not sure I'd take it just to go back to work at ESPN because I love what I get to do here now. And it's certainly more purposeful based for purpose filled work that I do now. And uh, I love it. I hope I get to do it for as long as God will let me.
1: Absolutely. And to our listeners, if you have not subscribed to their podcast at Sports Spectrum, please go do that because I love your podcast and I know Bjorn does too. And how you are just talking to a lot of these athletes and pastors, it's impactful. Like I, I've absolutely enjoyed that. And your books, definitely, if people have not gotten your book of Live to Forgive in the Uniform of Leadership, go get that because they're like you said they're they're easy reads and but they're powerful they're powerful but powerful books so
0: yeah i mean i i, I joke when i say that but it, uh, honestly i mean who am i right i'm not a good writer i don't enjoy writing it's not <laughs> anything that i ever wanted to do um, so the fact that there's two books with my name on it is ridiculous but mm. I wrote them. Hopefully they impact people. Hopefully they're easy to read so that people can read them. And, and, and don't look at me as some kind of PhD genius guy. Right. Uh, that's my brother, by the way. That's why I said you got to have him on your show. He's a PhD and now a pastor and a wow. Bible college professor and president. But you know, I just tried to be real and raw and just write in the way that I know how to write. Well, as John Maxwell says,
1: he gets asked all the time, like, oh, how are you an author? And he just says, you just start writing. That's all you got to do. That's my advice. I've had people ask me, like, you know, I've had lots of people ask me like how
0: do you write a book and what was your way of going about doing it? And I said, "Honestly, I just grabbed my laptop one day and I went to Panera and I said chapter 1 and <laughs> I started writing." And uh, you know, I had a co-author who helped me. I don't want to miss out on that Steve Steve Copeland who is a gifted gifted storyteller and writer and is tremendous at doing what he does, uh, and he's also a good friend of mine. He helped me. So, I wrote, and then I realized my writing is probably a C plus. His writing's an A plus, and so he helped take my writing and make it hopefully better to when you guys read it. It's written well but it's also, like I said, really easy to read because it's my story. So,
2: okay. I love that. that. That's so cool. Yeah, and if you like sports as well, I'm sure there's sports intertwined in both of those books. And so if you're interested in you know, leadership and learning more about forgiveness, those those would be two great books to check out. Um, yeah, so Jason, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been a blast just to hear some of your story. Um, we get to ask you some questions as Noah and I both listened to to your podcast. We've heard you ask the question. So it's, it's fun to hear some behind the scenes of you know, how God really grabbed your heart and got a hold of your life and, um, you know, really turned you into this powerful force to be reckoned with, um, with the evil one, as we all have that power to be. And it's so encouraging to see what we, what I would say is you're in the heart of God's will for your life right now. Mm. And, you know, I I can't speak for you. That's something that you can only really discern between you and God. Um, But as we finish up here today, are there any final just remarks or words of encouragement that you would have for our listeners, um, for those that have tuned in today? Um,
0: you know, it's, it, there's so many different areas and places you could go kind of as you wrap up. Um, it's, it's interesting to me, you know, I, I'm obviously the most recent book is the uniform of leadership and I've been doing a lot of interviews and promoting that book and I'm grateful for those, but I think I get more people asking me about forgiveness than anything else, and uh, and I'm preaching on it in my church in a couple of weeks again. Uh, I haven't preached on it at my church on this topic in about five years, so I'm bringing it back, and we're trying to do it a little bit different. Um, I'm speaking at a couple of men's events and some conferences, uh, one in person and one virtually, hopefully in early 2021, to the point where they want me to talk about forgiveness, mm-hmm. and you know, I have no problem ever talking about forgiveness, but my, my final words, I guess, would be to, um, to evaluate yourself if you have anybody to forgive Um, because we have a forgiveness crisis in this country. I really believe that maybe in the world it is looked upon by the world and by people. All you got to do is go on social media to hold grudges and that it's completely okay to hold grudges. Like, it's fine. Hold a grudge. If you got hurt, man, don't give them the time of day. Mm. But if you call yourself a follower of Christ, and I'm assuming many people listening to this would say that, we're commanded by Jesus to forgive every single time. Mm. You know, it's easy to think forgiveness is an emotion because I don't feel like letting go of this bitterness. I don't feel like, you know, letting that person know that I'm forgiving them. But it's it's not about feelings. It's about faith and our faith in God. And if God commanding us, if we're putting our trust and faith in Jesus, then we need to forgive every single time. And so I want to and I know it's hard. Um, I want to also say that, uh, you know, forgiveness, this is my might be my last thing for you guys. Forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. And so maybe you're thinking, man, if I'm going to forgive this person, does that mean I have to talk to them again or hang out with them? Well, I think God wants us to reconcile ourselves himself to us, and he wants us to reconcile with people. But sometimes reconciliation isn't always possible. Sometimes the hurt is too hurtful. Sometimes the pain is too deep. Sometimes the abuse was just too much, and reconciliation isn't possible. Sometimes, I don't know, sometimes... You know, if you're in a marriage and it was just really damaging, you, you're not going to get married again. You're not going to re. You're not going to reconcile. But where forgive, where reconciliation is not always possible, forgiveness is. Mm. Wow. And um, so that would be my closing statement. I don't know why I shared that versus just, you know, anything else. I guess, that I, but forgiveness has just continued to be for three years now, almost four years, something that I've been thinking about, writing about, praying about, reading about. Mm-hmm. And it continues to be a problem, I think, for a lot of people, and it's really hard for them. So,
2: mm. good word, yeah. That, that's such a good word, Jason, and I think you're 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 so spot on um, with with saying that. You know, we've got a forgiveness crisis here in America. And I, I don't know fully about the world because I don't know fully about cultures in Europe, Africa, Asia, all over there. But I, I, I would venture a guess that it's probably very similar there as well. Um, but yeah. thank you so much, Jason, for your time today. And I, I look forward to talking with, with you again. And I look forward to sharing this with our listeners and having them tune in
0: bjorn noah you guys are great good job if you want me to critique your show good job you did a wonderful job you asked great questions and uh it really was an honor to be on your show thanks for asking
1: jason thanks for joining us today bjorn what were some of your thoughts and reflections of today
2: yeah man that was it was a lot of fun kind of flipping the script on him and asking him the questions this time um it was great talking with jason and i think the one thing that stuck with me and honestly as i've been thinking about this i'm probably going to share this a little bit in a message that i'm preparing to 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 preach at in a later date but when he said bloom where you're planted Mm. and that is something that I know is so important for me to hear right now because you know I ask myself all the time and I talk with my fiance, this, that, and the other thing. And I ask, okay, what has God called me to do? Mm. And that's a question that's hard for me to discern all the time. And I feel like it changes. There's some things that are consistent. um, But the one thing that is always consistent is God has called me to this place at this time right now. That's and good. this right now is where I'm planted and I'm going to do my best to bloom here and to spread God's love and do my job here. Now I may be taken out of this plant and planted somewhere else, right. but until then I'm going to try to bloom here. And so that was something that I definitely took away. Um, yeah, definitely impacted me. What, what about you, Noah? Any
1: yeah. reflections that you've had? Well, yeah. And even just honing in on that thought too, of just when Tony Dungy's I I believe secretary was Jessica she was just like yo what what are you talking about like like not being a Christian at ESPN Mm. and she looked at him and said you don't get it you can be a light here and I I love that because we don't always realize that we can be a light wherever we're at um and I I really felt like with Jason that he felt like he couldn't be a Christian at ESPN Mm. or be a light there um and I love that it was somebody who just spoke truth into it into his life. Who would yeah. you say? I,
2: I think that just shows me a little bit of the culture of the American church, mm. and, and dare I say, the capital C church. Right. Of there's a little bit of an identity crisis. Of mm. uh, we've gotten so honed in on churches on Sunday. I'm a Christian on Sunday. Right. And we're losing the sight of no. God has called called us to be a follower of Christ first. Right. And that will shine. And go through everything we do. And that is why we're here talking about sports and faith. These two things that our world divides. And we're saying, "Mm mm-mm. Like, faith is a part of that. And if you are a Christian, that is your identity. Mm. Your identity is in Christ and who he says that you are. And everything else changes from there. The gospel changes everything. Right. Not just Sundays. And so, you know, when Jason, I know he was a, you know, a a young believer at that time. And that's why it transformed his life from there. Because he was like, oh, shoot. Like, she's right. Like, Mm. I can be a Christian here. And it, it isn't, being a Christian doesn't have to be just singing songs and preaching the word being a christian can be loving and should be loving it should be all of that in different ways but man if you're in a profession where it's not a vocational ministry type job right like There's so much importance. And honestly, if every Christian was a minister or a pastor, our world would be such a dark place Mm. because that'd be taking out Christ's love from these businesses. Right. You know, if every Christian were to leave ESPN... ESPN would become a very dark place, I believe. Right. And that's why it's so important for us to bloom where we're planted and shine Christ's love. No,
1: and I agree. I, th- I, I just saw a video the other day of uh, this pastor was having a conversation with a doctor mm. and the doctor was like, I don't feel like I'm doing God's will, mm. being a doctor. And I, it's amazing because all of us have so many different gifts and whatever we do as ministry, not all of us are called into church ministry or whatever, sure. but God calls us he wants to use your gifts wherever you're at So yeah, I, that was one of my biggest takeaways But mm-hmm. I think my biggest one that I took away um, There's a few things that he said Towards the beginning And I, I loved it uh, It better not be Go Cowboys <laughs> <laughs> I will never say that I will always be Go Broncos His daughter <laughs> is on the right track <laughs> But yeah I, I, I love what he said We need to have an open heart to go on this journey mm. And it, so true especially with god i think there's so things that we hold on so tightly but we should hold on loosely hmm. and like I, what with covid for this mm. whole year i think i mean you and i both with the sports ministry right now it's like we don't even know if we can use the gym sometimes sure. you know so holding on to things loosely and no that's what our pastor says it's almost
2: saying now. you know let, let god let god let god you know jesus take the wheel right, right? <laughs> like let him take over and yes you're going to still do your things but let him guide and direct your steps and your path as you move forward mm-hmm. and follow him i I heard it said by my youth pastor growing up, and this stuck with me, and Will, forever. He said, this was, you know, as a high school student asking him, like, man, I don't know what God has for me, I don't know if I'm in the heart of God's will for me, what do I want to do with my life, go to college, not go to college, study this, that, the other thing. And he said, Bjorn, he said, if you follow God and do everything that God tells you to do, and everything that he speaks to you today, and tomorrow, and this week, and in the short term, he's like, in the long term, you'll be right in the heart of God's will for you. Hmm. And that's really all we can do, is we can control Control what we can control. And today, things are going to happen to us good, right. bad, ugly. What we can control is how we respond, how we react, and how we let that affect us good or bad. Mm. How we grow from that that's what we can control. COVID, we can't control that, but we can control our response. Right. The church can't control that there's a global pandemic, pandemic but we can control how we respond and how we reflect Christ's love through that. Right. And that man that that has transformed my life and it's still something i remind myself of every single day mm-hmm. and i'm not saying planning for the future is bad because it's definitely not right but dwelling on that and worrying over the future it makes you miss out on the chances you have to
1: bloom where you're planted right so and jason was just a great way just to start off this leadership series that we're doing a great way to start off 2021 yeah which is wild, it's wild. so here we are that's why <laughs> especially
2: sitting here in 20- 2020,
1: thinking about 2021. <laughs> right. Accelerating. But yeah, yeah, and here's three words that um, that really resonated with me, and, and I think it's a good way to finish out, is growing, process, and journey. Mm. And those are three words that he talked about, and he talked about how life's a process. Being a follower of Jesus is a process. It's not a microwave journey. It's a crockpot. pot. And so many times we want the quick microwave, like, easy fixes of life. And, you know, following Christ, it's it's a daily thing. And mm. uh, sometimes it's like we're looking for the quick fix, and it's just not there. So I thought that's a great way to finish that out.
2: Yeah, and I, I love when... I believe we talked with Jason a little bit before and we shared a little bit of our motto here on the flat room, get it, got it, give it. And if you guys have, you know, listened to us before, you'll have heard that. If you listen listened to our very first episode, you'll hear us explain that. Um, but I remember one of the things he said is when we talked about got it, he said, and, and we've, we've talked about this, but he reiterated, he said, yeah, that got it phase. That is a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. We are always in that process of getting it, of figuring out what it is. Right. And that's, that's us it's, we're always in this process of figuring out who God is learning more about his love and his character and who he is to us and man I hope I never stop learning because there's so much there's so much to learn there's so much I don't know and talking to a guy like Jason shines light on all these things that I don't know right. and, and it's, it's exciting um, it's exciting to know that there's there's so much more that I can be there's so much more that God has for me than mm. than I can imagine and that is super encouraging
1: Mm. I I, want to finish with this quote I heard this the other day and I think it's it's so like relevant for right now Um, do you remember the songwriter Rich Mullins and this is way back and he passed away like, like a while ago Um, But I thought this was really good. I heard this in a message. He said, the worst part of being a Christian is that it is every single day. Mm. Wow. And I think so often we think of, you know, it's like, oh, being a Christian, it's going to be so easy, but it's hard. It is (laughs) hard being a follower of Jesus. Oh, man. Um, We like to put on the good face that it's easy, but. It's hard. It's It's tough. uh, mm. So, but yeah, I I think just the reminder that there's hope and that it's worth it. And this is. it's a marathon not a sprint it's a long freaking marathon yeah yeah, I I love that so yeah Mm -hmm. Jason thanks for joining us a great way to to kick off the leadership until
2: next time go Bills
1: thank you Jason for joining us and next week everybody you do not want to miss this episode with Dan Webster this will be week two of our leadership series and it was incredible incredible conversation Dan founded Authentic Leadership he has a sports and faith background he's an author speaker so much more and he dedicated his life to speaking, writing, and mentoring leaders young and old in the marketplace parachurch in the church. What a conversation. Here's an excerpt. Don Johnson was our coach, and he was a former All-American under this uh, well-known coach. You guys probably don't even remember John Wooden, but he did okay (laughs) as a college coach at UCLA. recognize the name. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, our coach, one of my great memories is our coach hooked us up for, for a game at Poly Pavilion. And this was back when freshmen could not play on the varsity. And Bill Walton was a freshman that year. Larry Farmer was on that team and we went in 17 and one And we got beat by 54.
2: Thanks for listening to the Sweat Room Sports and Faith Podcast. We hope you enjoyed. If you'd like to stay connected with us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Watermark Sports, on Twitter at Sweat Room Pod, and our new blog at watermarkwesleyan.com slash blog. Until next time, get it, got it, and give it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan
2: Church.